Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And as you're turning your Bibles, I read a story that's told of a fisherman who was not particularly in good fellowship with the Lord. And he was at sea on this deep sea fishing trip with some uh, ungodly companions that were out on the boat, and they were in a very troubling storm that took place. And it looked like the boat very well might sink because of this storm. So the non-Christians, knowing that he professed to be a Christian, called out to him and said, Would you pray and call on your God to protect us and to keep us safe? And the man said, well, you know, I've been out of fellowship with the Lord a long time, and I haven't really been praying to Him regularly. In fact, I haven't even been going to church in, in years, and I don't even know if I can help, but I'll try. He bowed his head, and this is what he prayed. He said, Lord, I know that I've been out of fellowship with you, and I haven't been in touch with you for 15 years But Lord, if you help me this time and bring us safely to land, I promise I won't bother you again for another 15 years. That's how many of us look at prayer. It's the thing we do when everything else we've tried doesn't work or frustrates us, right? I remember a story about a deacon. They were talking about a financial uh, problem in the church where they just weren't sure how the church was going to navigate it. And one deacon said, well, we should commit this and take some time to pray. And another deacon said, oh my goodness, has it come to that? It's kind of like break glass in emergency, pray. That's not what God had in mind. And so today we're going to begin a series on the Lord's Prayer that we'll spend several weeks on. Today is going to be more of an introductory and kind of getting our feet wet and talking about prayer this morning. So if you have your Bibles, and it'll also be on the screen if that's more convenient, also in your bulletin you have a listener's guide that I encourage you to use and follow along. I've done all the hard work for you. Just but this is the idea is for you to take this, learn of the Word, take it this week, meditate on it, think about it, look up the Scriptures that we don't have time to look at here this morning, but make use of the time that you've invested to come here to be under the ministry of the worship and the Word and to make good use of your time and use that listener's guide. And I guarantee you that you will uh, find that to be a productive exercise and using that as we walk through this. Matthew chapter 6. This morning, I'm just going to read it. It'll be on the screen, but, but each week at some point, we will probably read the Lord's Prayer together. But this morning, I'm just going to read it, and you follow along. Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus, in this manner, therefore, he told them and instructed them to pray, and this is the words, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. The Lord's Prayer. Uh, R.T. Kendall, who's one of my favorite authors, uh, made this statement. He said, the Lord's Prayer is verbally inspired by the Holy Spirit and therefore perfectly worded. It is a revelation of how we should pray because it mirrors God's will for His people. It cannot be stressed too much that Jesus Himself is the formulator of it. Every single word. And if you want to know at least once that you prayed in God's will, the Lord's prayer is for you. There's two accounts in the New Testament of what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. The one that we'll be using for our study, our series, is in Matthew chapter 6, as we just read. But the other account is found in Luke. We're not going to take time to look at that. But in Luke's account, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer. Sometimes people like to refer to it. But he teaches that out of a response to, in Luke's version, of something they asked him when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Obviously, in hearing Jesus pray in a very meaningful way, a personal way. Now, these were good Jewish boys. They knew how to, quote-unquote, technically pray. They memorized the Shema, the law. They knew how to uh, act in the synagogue in prayers. But they heard in Jesus something different. They heard somebody praying in a relationship, and they asked Him, Lord, teach us to pray like that. We want that type of relationship. And I do too, and I believe if you're a believer, you do as well. We call it the Lord's Prayer because Jesus himself was the author of it and because it was he who told us to pray it. Some people like to refer to it as the disciples' prayer, but most of us know it by the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to use Matthew chapter 6 as our, as our basis as we walk through this uh, each week. Today, as I said, is just more introduction as we kind of get our feet wet in looking at prayer. And I want to maybe just say a few words at the get-go here, uh, the outset, um, as a words of encouragement and reminder that this is not going to be a guilt trip on prayer. So just breathe, okay? Because there's not a Christian here in this room that does not understand or at least know that they do not pray enough and certainly do not pray as effectively with understanding as they would like. But this is not going to be a guilt trip. This is going to be an encouragement because we're all in the same boat, if you will. All ground is level at the foot of the cross and we all want to grow in our prayer and in how that works out for our lives. All of us need to be more consistent. This is not going to be an exhaustive treatment on prayer. There's lots of, we're going to, best as I can, we're just focusing on the various components of this Lord's Prayer from week to week. There's lots of things that we can talk about when we come to prayer. We can just do a study on the prayers of the Old Testament. 
prayers of the prophets, um, prayers of Jesus, prayers of Paul, uh, prayers of uh, the Psalms of David, prayers that relate to people that are suffering, hardship. I mean, there's, the Bible is saturated. There is the Word of God. The Bible is a book about prayer. And so before we begin, let's do this. Let's pray and ask God's blessing to help us be learners, help us to be students of the Word, to encourage us by His Spirit to pray. So would you join with me as we do that? Father, Lord, as we open up this Word this morning and weeks ahead, Lord, talking about one of the most important aspects that you have given to us to communicate in part of this growing relationship with you. I know that I, as I pray for myself, I probably speak for about every believer here today. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. Teach me to pray in a way, Lord, that's meaningful. Lord, that was with understanding. Teach me to pray, Lord, where I understand that and have more effectiveness in what I pray. Lord, I'm looking to you as you've given us the Holy Spirit to guide us. And so as we open your word and walk through this, I pray that each believer here, week after week, Lord, will be motivated by your Holy Spirit, not through guilt, but Lord, be motivated by your Spirit to spend time with you and to develop a more meaningful relationship through prayer that God, you have designed, and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. There's five things this morning by way of introduction, and some of these things I'm going to go through very quickly, and it would be helpful if you use that listener's guide, because I'm going to go through them real quickly, and I won't necessarily always read the verses or whatever, but they're in there for you to take and use uh, in your own personal study and uh, or as you, uh, however you want to use it. But notice with me, number one is the purpose of prayer. Number one, the purpose of prayer. <clears throat> Just before introducing this prayer to his disciples in Matthew 6, Jesus said in verse 8, Therefore, do not be like them, them are the religious, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those that um, in Matthew's account, just kind of hit pause there, something I should want to mention. As I said, Luke's version is in response to the disciples asking Jesus, teach us to pray. Matthew, Jesus' response in Matthew is more of showing the disciples how not to pray like what he calls the hypocrites, the phonies, those that we'll look at in just a minute a little more in detail. But he says, do not be like them. In other words, don't do it their way. They're not a model of how to pray. For the Father, for your Father, verse 8, knows that the things you have need of before you ask them. Now that may surprise you that Jesus is telling us to pray Then he says, the Father already knows in advance what you need. So being logical, we would say, why pray? Why even pray if he knows already things in advance? Well, part of God's knowing should bring some comfort level to when I do pray. Because guess what? 
When I pray, I've asked for things, and the best answer to my prayer was no. Because God knows best. In fact, we could say, Father knows best. Right? He knows best. And I'm glad that He knows what I really need, because often I'm not cognizant of what I really need, but God does. The psalmist says, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Why does he do this? Several things that, are, that I have listed there. One is because he tells us to. He invites us to pray. He commands us to pray. Uh, Martin Luther said, we are instructing ourselves, not God, when we pray. Sometimes I've prayed and said, Lord, I pray for so-and-so, and you know they live at 1342, uh, uh, such and such, you know, like I'm giving God information. God, as I've said before, God has never learned anything. I'm not praying to inform God. I'm praying to get in sync with what He knows. We do not pray with the view of informing God, said John Calvin, but in order that we may arouse ourselves to seek Him. So the Lord tells us to pray, to invite us into this relationship. Secondly, is the same God who ordained the end, the answer, also has ordained the means or the method by which that end is reached. For example, in Luke 11, 9 and 10, Jesus said, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. What are we asked to do? We are to ask. We are to knock. He's ordained the means. When the children of Israel were promised the land of Canaan and they crossed over the, 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 the Jordan there and God had already promised them in advance, it was already theirs. But what did they have to do? They had to possess it. They had to go take it. Prayer is the means that God works. Sometimes that's a mystery in the sense that we don't understand how all that works. But God has ordained not only the, the end, but also the means or the way. Thirdly, God chooses to honor or maybe even reward our obedience. He wants us to obey without trying to figure out things ahead of time before we pray. You know, because sometimes, you know, the Bible doesn't honor our logic. Does he? But he honors our obedience. The Lord says you do not have because you do not ask God. James 4.2 is repeating what Jesus said. The Lord honors and rewards our obedience. And sometimes that simple, what Jesus called childlike obedience. Childlike obedience. Remember when you're, I can't do this with my two boys. Now, one turns 30 and the other one turns 33. Doesn't work. But there was a day I would say, get in the car, we're going such and such. And guess what? They got in the car, and they just, they just obeyed. They, they didn't have any choice, right? Now if I say that, it'd be like, what, what? You know, I mean, my son, my oldest son who was here over Thanksgiving, I realized I would, I'm, I would tell him details of how to do something. And here he is a... Awarded firefighter, 33 years old, has three children, 
And I would say, now, you know, if you go there, make sure you do this and do that. He's like, Dad, I'm not 10. But I would say, but in my mind, you're always going to be 10, right, parents, right? So God wants us to just have that simple childlike obedience. Number four, God knows that our need, he already knows our need in advance, but listen, in God's providence, he chooses to involve us by letting our praying, if I could say it this way, make a difference. That God in his sovereignty has ordained the outcome and the working, but God brings us along as believers in one sense, and again, words may not be 100% accurate, but almost like in a sense of a partner that we are involved, God connects us into the process. I mean, could God give us everything without ever asking Him for anything? I mean, if He already knows in advance, can He do that, right? And so God connects us. Prayer in and of itself, prayer, the act of prayer, the act of reciting words just in and of themselves, that doesn't have any power in and of itself. The power is connected to the one that you are praying to. I mean, it's very common for people to say, we want to keep them in our prayers. Really? What does that mean? What does that mean? Is it just saying words out into the atmosphere? Or is it actually understanding that prayer is a real conversation with the Creator, that God has invited us along with that? And there's that balance there. I don't know how all that works and how He involves us, but yet He's sovereign. Philippians 2 is always a helpful reminder in principle where Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, and here it is, work out your own salvation, not work for, but work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so that's... One sense, that's our role. But look at the next verse. The very, in fact, verse numbers shouldn't even be in there. That isn't how Paul wrote. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, verse 13, for it is God who works, what? In you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So is it me or is it God? Yes. That's the nature of our relationship. And last is that God promises to answer prayer. Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways, submit to Him or acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Secondly, not only is the purpose of prayer, but notice secondly, the privilege of prayer. The privilege of prayer. Of all the privileges that we have given to us by God that are a blessing of the redemption in Christ, is that He invites us into this relationship. That's what prayer is. Prayer is a communication. It's a relationship. I mean, we have, through Christ, through the finished work of Jesus, we have the privilege of what Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That's a privilege of the believer that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Different ways that we can understand prayer. And these again are in your listener's guide and 
I'll go through these quickly because they're already written down there. Uh, that scripture gives us insight in various ways that we understand prayer. One, it, it's intimacy with God. Prayer, we formalized it, and that was the problem that Jesus uh, directed his disciples to not pray like them because they formalized a religion, a religiosity of talking to God when in fact they weren't talking to God. They were talking to themselves and trying to impress everybody else by their prayers and the length of their prayers. But prayer in its very core is this relationship that involves intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. The Bible says, and it's in, again, all these scriptures I'll read, they won't be on the screen, they're in your handout. The Lord confines in those who fear Him. He makes His covenant known to them. God confides in me. Who do you confide into? Somebody you trust. You don't meet some stranger at Wawa and say, hey, hey, you got a minute? You got a minute? I got, I got some really personal stuff. I'm glad that through Jesus, God trusts us to confide. Remember what Jesus promised? The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will take from the Father, from me, and reveal it to what? Reveal it to you. Secondly, prayer shouldn't be disconnected from worship. One of the reasons we get dried out in prayer is because we've not connected the worship as we're coming to the throne of grace. Secondly is worship. The psalmist says, One thing I've asked of the Lord, that is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Also, it's seeking God. Seeking God. Do I not have those listed up there? I know, but are they not on the screen? Is there a problem? Okay, maybe something didn't work right. But they're in your outline, so that's all right. Seeking God. Seeking God is the third aspect of prayer. I'm seeking God. My heart says in Psalm 27, verse 8, my heart says, seek His face. When you take somebody's face, it's the most personal, intimate part of communication. You ever talk to somebody and you say, look at me? Because that's intimate, that's personal. When you don't want to be intimate and personal with somebody, what do you do? You look away. You can always tell people... You know, that there's a, there's a problem in relationship because you see them somewhere and, you know, they just look away. They don't, they don't, because when you see each other face to face, isn't that the wonderful promise that the Bible tells us that we will see Jesus face to face? Moses wanted to see face of Yahweh, but Moses said, you can't handle it. Long before Jack Nicholson said it, uh, the Lord told Moses, you can't handle it, Right? In other words, but I'll let you just see a part of my backside there, of my glory. But in Christ, because we are new creations in Christ, we will see the fullness and the beauty of Jesus face to face. Seeking God. That's prayer. Fourth is intercession. Fourth is asking God to act. Lord, we need you to act. We need you to intercede. Some of you are asking God to act in healing and miraculous situations. God, we need you to intervene in this situation, in this person's life. And then the Bible has something talking about praying in the Spirit. 
Jude 20, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. So we've looked at the purpose of prayer, the privilege of prayer. But notice, thirdly, the parameters of prayer, the parameters of prayer. Prayer, listen to this, and you're, unfortunately I was trying to keep your, your guide there without making it uh, five pages, so I edited this a little bit and I realized under point number three I edited it in a way that isn't overly helpful, so some of the things that will be on the, uh, that I say are on the screen uh, you may need to write down. But prayer is a believer's communication with God. It's a communication with God the Father, listen to this carefully, Prayer is a believer's communication with God the Father through the authority and person of Jesus Christ assisted by the Holy Spirit. It's on the screen. Prayer is the believer's communication with God the Father through the authority and person of Jesus Christ assisted by the Holy Spirit. Let me break that down. Prayer is communication. It's talking. Sometimes we think prayer is talking at God. It's talking with God. That's what communication is. How do you get to know somebody relationally? You communicate with them, right? Also, prayer is to be offered through Jesus Christ. You cannot pray to God the Father. You cannot pray to God without coming through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father but through me. We come, as we said, we come boldly, Hebrews 4.16, as we saw earlier, we come boldly through the throne of grace to the throne of grace because of the blood of Christ that has made it possible for us to enter into that picture of the Old Testament tabernacle into that holy of holies. How has that been done? Because of Jesus Christ. That we have the privilege, we have the authority, we have access to come into the presence of God. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Ephesians 2.18 says, Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Now, don't get me wrong and don't, be, don't stop doing this necessarily, but sometimes people will say, Pastor... Can you say a little prayer for me? Well, I don't know what a little prayer is. But guess what? You can pray just as accessible as I can pray. And it's important to pray for one another. I'm not minimizing that. But I don't have VIP status. I don't. The newest believer that is saved in the past one minute, has as much access to the throne of grace than the most seasoned saint at 95 years of age. And so prayer is, it says that last phrase, if you put that up, is not only to God, our prayer is a believer's communication with God through the Father, through the authority and person of Jesus Christ. We come on the authority and the finished work of Christ, that's the legitimacy, but we're assisted by the Holy Spirit. We're assisted by the Holy Spirit. 
Romans 8.26 says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, in our weakness of prayer. For example, Paul says, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. You ever felt that a particular need and you felt such a burden, but you didn't even know how to pray? You, didn't even, you felt like every word that came out of your mouth was inadequate? And you're talking to God and you just kind of just say, uh. but look at this, great promise. And the Holy Spirit helps us, and he called the helper, helps us in our weakness For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Now, those are not the same groanings you make when you get up in the morning, all right? These are different. It means that, and I think, again, as we, in our Wednesday nights, when we explore about the gift of tongues, I think there's something that... God takes control of the inadequacy of language and our ability to speak as humans. And there's something the Holy Spirit takes in our very core, a language. There's things, have you ever said this to somebody? You said, I don't know really how to explain what I'm feeling. Because everything you say is going to seem so childish and stupid and you're like and you don't want them saying oh come on that's not that big a deal and you're just like no this is a deep pain this is a deep burden guess what the holy spirit knows exactly how you feel and the holy spirit as you pray where it seems like you're on your knees and you just feel like you're just groaning and and, and you're just, you just don't know what to say. And you just sometimes you might just be in a sense of worship because you can't put it in the words. The Holy Spirit's like, I got it from here. I can take it. From, I know. I know what you're saying. In essence, God is saying, I know what you're saying. In other words, the Holy Spirit's ministry in prayer is to take what cannot be clarified and the Holy Spirit clarifies it. And we have that promise in Romans 8, 26. You know, it's interesting. Romans 8, 26, verse 27. You know what the next verse, 28? And we know that all things work together for good. What's the basis of that scripture? We just pull out and quote it. How do we know that? Because we know the Holy Spirit understands and takes things that we speak and and pray under control. And that's how we know that God works all things together for good to those that love Him and are called according to to his purpose. Keep those things in context there. That's why you're not wasting your time by praying. So the purpose of prayer, the privilege of prayer, the parameters must be biblical prayers to the Father in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. But notice fourth, some precautions of prayer. This gets more to an introduction to before Jesus speaks of what we call the Lord's Prayer, he gives some precautions. And this is helpful to keep in context of what is before the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, let's go back up to verse 5. And Jesus said, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, that's those religious folks, 
For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But, when, but you, disciples, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, verse 7, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. And that leads us into what He will teach us and lead us in the Lord's Prayer. But look at some of these precautions. There's four of them. And you can write these in your handout. Four precautions of prayer. Number one is we need to pray regularly. Notice what Jesus said. Verse 5. When you pray. Not if you pray. It's up to you whether you pray. Jesus is making an assumption of people that are His followers. That they are people who pray. Prayer is to be a part of our life. And again, there's various aspects of prayer. There's times of setting aside for prayer. The Bible talks about pray without ceasing. How does that work and you keep a job? I'll be in the break room, boss, and well, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm going to spend the day in prayer. Okay. No. But you're always in a state of knowing that God is with me, that God is around me, that God is speaking into my spirit, that God, that I'm talking to God. You may think, well, I'm just talking to myself. No. A born-again spirit, you're, you're, you're in communion with God in a non-ceasing way. At least we should be. We are to pray regularly. Secondly, in this we need to pray sincerely. He said in verse 5, Do not be like the hypocrites. They love to be heard. Verse 5. Verse 1, Matthew 6, 1. Jesus starts out, and this is where the context. He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Be careful about practicing your righteousness in front of other people. You know, I mean, uh, you know, sometimes people that are fasting, I don't think they need to say, oh, no, 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 I can't eat today. I'm fasting. No, you're just starving yourself for food because you think that if I starve myself, somehow in that act, we think of like fasting. And by the way, Jesus made the same statement. He says, when you fast. Presuming that fasting is a part, and fasting is the denial of food. It's not going and, and fasting from Taylor Swift for a month. It, fasting involves food. We've got all these novelties. The Daniel fast. The Hezekiah fast. I just made that one up. Uh, the John the Baptist fast. That's a good one. Locusts and honey. How about that one? 
we got all these novelties that we've created an entire marketing scheme of books and paraphernalia when it's just in its very simplicity is a denial of something as our most basic physical need. And just like we'll say in a minute about going into the secret place, the fasting is a denial of anything that would distract us in those moments and times of a heightened focus of hearing from God. Some people look at fasting as though they're going to go on a hunger strike and get God to do something that is not in His will. You know what prisoners do when they want to protest? They go on a hunger strike. And they think, well, we better, we better act because, you know, so-and-so is going to starve themselves to death. Listen, God will let you starve yourself to death. It's not His will. You can go without food all day long for the next month. Fasting is not trying to twist God's arm because you want God to be impressed by you going without food. Fasting, like this quiet place, is to get into a place where you are focused in an intimate way. Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. What do they want to do? They want to be seen. They want to be admired. And Jesus says, they've got their reward because people admire them, and that's it. They're not being rewarded. They're not honoring God. You know, the word hypocrite is from the Greek. That means two-faced. If you ever see the little theater icon of the two masks, one smiling, one frowning, that was, that was taken from the Greek theater of a hypocrite, a two-faced, an imitator, an actor, someone who fakes it to hope they make it. Uh, the admiration of the crowds. Jesus says, don't be like that. They want to be seen, and they want to be heard. You know, I'm always suspicious of people. I remember this preacher said this one time, long public prayers sometimes are being made up for the lack of short private prayers. Sometimes people that pray long in public are trying to make up for what's not going on in their prayer time, in their prayer closet. The reason sometimes we get befuddled in praying in public is because we're really not used to just talking to God in private. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. Reminds me of the little boy whose grandmother was visiting the family over Christmas, or right before Christmas, and he was praying in his bedroom one night while his mother and grandmother were sitting in the living room. And his mother heard him say in his bedroom, And Lord... Please give me a bicycle for Christmas. And the mother went into the bedroom and said, Son, you don't have to yell for God to hear you. And he said, I know, Mom, but Grandma can't hear very well, and she's the one that's got the money to buy the bike. (laughs) Thirdly, we must pray secretly. That's again verse 6. Go away by yourself. In other words, eliminate distractions. Shutting yourself off. Finding a quiet place. I won't embarrass them, but somebody here that regularly goes to work early and sits in their truck and uses that time to pray and to listen to the word of the Lord before they clock in. That's their quiet place. You may need to find your quiet place. Fourthly, God wants us to pray thoughtfully. Verse 7, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions. Look at the amplified verse 7. 
should be on the screen. The Amplified. The Amplified is that which tries to bring out some of the nuances in the Greek or Hebrew, but it's sometimes helpful. Verse 7, the same verse about vain repetitions as the heathen do. This is the Amplified. And when you pray, do not heap up phrases, that is, multiply words, repeating the same ones over and over as the Gentiles or unbelievers do, for they think they will be heard for their much speaking. Be careful, and we get, we get, and I listen, guilty as charged. Sometimes when we're praying and we're doing it thoughtlessly, we're praying and saying, now, Lord Jesus, please help so-and-so, Lord Jesus, and make sure you, uh, you know, heal them, Lord Jesus, and, and we just pray for their family, Lord Jesus, and do you talk? Sherry, I want you to make sure you go to the store, Sherry, and make sure you go to Publix and get the orange juice, Sherry, and it, wait, we use these words as filler. You know why? Because we're not used to a relational conversation with God. And we have these repetitive little phrases, maybe in our own nervousness or anxiety, of thinking about all of a sudden we're praying or asked to pray, when again it just should be the simplicity of a conversation before the Lord. By the way, it's interesting that right before the teaching on the Lord's Prayer is Jesus' instructions about vain repetitions. You know the Lord's Prayer could be a vain repetition? Ever watched a movie and somebody's getting ready to be blown up by some, and what do they start doing? Praying the Lord's Prayer. As if it's a mantra. As if if I say it, and repeat it, that in and of itself, without understanding, it was never meant to be a vain repetition. Jesus is just giving this as a pattern of prayer that regardless of however we pray, these are truths and aspects that should permeate our entire conversation. But just saying in a cold, dead moment out of an emergency, I guess if that's all you got to pray, hey, pray the Lord's Prayer, don't get me wrong. But the power is not in the Lord's prayer. The power is in the prayer of the Lord that we are speaking to. You with me? Don't turn the Lord's prayer into a vain repetition because it sounds religious. Thoughtless verbiage. Sometimes we just do things without even thinking. If I said, what is your home address? You probably could rattle it off pretty quick. Why? Because you don't have to think about it. God wants us to be thoughtful in our thinking. And when we talk to Him, just like when you talk to some, it's a relationship. And I think once we cross that barrier and understand that it's this relationship that we are to grow into, I think it will be seen in our language and how we pray. And prayer won't be this change of voice and speaking in the King James Version before the Lord and it has a form. It just, that just sounds empty. I don't think that's... I think that was what, sadly, I think that's what these Pharisees and religious folks got into. They got into the technical formality and accuracy of the prayer. Listen, they're praying the Bible. They're praying Scripture. 
There was nothing wrong with the literal words they were saying, but they were words that were heartless. How many times have we prayed heartless prayers? Let me tell you this. When you're staring down a cancer diagnosis or the life of one of your children, guess what? You're not praying heartless, mindless prayers. You're storming the gates of heaven, begging and praying, right? The last, as we think about the prayer, is the pursuit of prayer. You see, the pursuit of prayer isn't the pursuit of prayer in and itself to pray. It's the pursuit of God. Prayer is God's design for His people to know Him deeply, personally. The psalmist says, I will pursue your commands, for you expand my understanding. Proverbs 15, 9, The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but loves, but He loves those who pursue godliness. Proverbs 21, 21, Whoever pursues righteousness and unfailing love will find life, righteousness, and honor. Two times Paul had to tell Timothy to pursue righteousness. Listen, the pursuit of prayer is the pursuit to know God. I think when we understand that, I think it will change the way we look. But look, prayer, it's hard work. And anybody that's tell you they've been a believer for any length of time will tell you that prayer is hard work. Not necessarily the action of prayer, but prayer in the sense of developing a consistency, a meaningfulness, a, that relational aspect. We all recognize the importance, and it's easy to guilt us like witnessing to, to do better, and we'll, we'll sign up a sheet, we're going to pray, and we're going to have a prayer 24-hour prayer team, and we're going to sign up. And you know what happens is we just end up doing it. It becomes meaningless. We'll clock in our time. It's kind of like reading the Bible. We're going to read the Bible in a year, but how much of the Bible do you really know and understand? But by golly, I'm going to check that little pamphlet off. I'm not going to go to bed till I check that box off. I didn't have a clue of what I read in Exodus 15, but I'm checking that box because just like trying to get that free Subway sub after so many punches, I'm checking those boxes, right? I'm going to read that Bible in a year and not have any more understanding than what I read than when I read it last year. What do I always say? Read less, understand more. Read the Gospel of John in the whole year. If you can't handle that, read Mark. Read the book of Jude. Shortest book in the Bible, right? Read with understanding. Pray with understanding. But here's the question. Here's the question as we land the plane. Why is something so strategic to the Christian life, our relationship with God, this is a question, why is something so strategic to the Christian life, which is our relationship with God and the victory in life, such a challenge? Why is this, this part such a challenge? And here, I believe, is the answer. Is that prayer links us to a realm 
that we are unfamiliar navigating. That's the spiritual life. That's unfamiliar territory. Prayer connects us into the realm where God is acting and He's working. Prayer links the believer to the realm that we are unfamiliar navigating. Prayer is the God-given communicational link between heaven and earth, time and eternity, the finite and the infinite. Prayer connects us into the spiritual dimension of our life and God's existence. And I think one of the things that's helpful is to understand the role that prayer is. That prayer is that divinely authorized means that God has made available for us to access the kingdom of heaven. And to get that kingdom, God's kingdom, listen to me carefully. To access God's kingdom, the resources of God's kingdom, to intervene in the affairs of my earthly life. What do we pray? What is the stanza of the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come on earth, what? As it is in Nobody's praying for the will of God in heaven. I'll say that again for the Kathleen folks. I live in Kathleen, so I can pick on us. Nobody's praying for the will of God in heaven. But what are we saying? We're apprehending, even in the Lord's Prayer, it is kingdom focused. Don't miss that. And the prayer is the God given in Christ authority that we have been given to call the realities and the truth of heaven into earth's existence. You with me? On earth. Your will be done as it is in heaven. Nobody's debating the will of God in heaven. But we got a problem down here. How has God designed the access of kingdom realities, the kingdom of God truths? It's because He has equipped us as believers commissioned us as followers of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to call those things as though they are not, as though they, as though they are. When we begin to think of prayer, I think that'll change the way we approach prayer. Let me give you one last thought here, and it's in your handout, a quote from Tony Evans. He writes a lot about the kingdom of God that I find beneficial. And he talks about kingdom prayer. He says, I define kingdom prayer as the, the divinely authorized methodology to access heavenly authority for earthly intervention. I like that. He says, prayer is God's backstage pass into a personal audience with him. He said the enemy is not wanting us to make contact. He seeks to divert our belief, confidence, and determination in our practice of prayer. Prayer, he says, unlike anything else, 
grants us legitimate authority to invoke heaven into history so that God is welcomed into our affairs. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom authority in prayer. Think about it. When the tabernacle in the Old Testament was made, the reality and the architectural design of it already existed where? In heaven. The new Jerusalem is coming down. These are just templates down here because the reality of God is already in heaven. We're commissioned to take the authority of Jesus and not just to get by, just make it. But we're actually commissioned to be kingdom-minded, to exercise God's authority in our family, in our government, in our world, our job, all those things, to exercise God's authority. And He's commissioned us to do it. Not just the paid preachers, no. He's commissioned because He gave His life, His blood, to redeem us, to bring us into His fold. You see, God has never forgotten the original design of the garden. You realize that? God has never forfeited. God never, ever signed away the title deed of this earth to the devil. We are in a holy, subversive war against the enemy right now. You're saying, well, pastor, I don't see much of it right now. And you've heard me use this illustration before, that when the Allies won World War II and Germany surrendered, guess what? It was years before the nation was subdued to the reality of the victory by the Allies. They still had skirmishes. They still had enemies. We, Sherry used to take care of an individual named Henry who spoke Polish. And he was sent over there to listen in to the prisoners because he spoke German and Polish and he could listen in on what they were saying. But, he, but there was a warning to those soldiers not to go out collecting souvenirs even though the war was over. The enemy was defeated. There were still battles to be fought. And so many of those times, those soldiers wanted to go out and find souvenirs to take back home. And some of them walked into buildings that were booby-trapped and they were killed. Why? Because there was still an enemy that had not yet been subdued. Guess what? The victory has been won. God has established us with a kingdom authority that's been given to us based on Christ. And what is our role? Our role is to subdue the enemy by making those things that are not the kingdoms of God on this earth, the kingdoms of the Lord, that God will reign supremely. Now, we only have a limited means to do that. Because ultimately, the consummation of that kingdom is when Jesus returns and puts his feet on the Mount of Olives and establishes his kingdom up on the earth for eternity, forever and ever. But in the meantime, there is a future kingdom to come, but right now, Jesus is operating with kingdom authority and we have a measure of doing that and acting in that. And guess what? Like any good 
soldier, battle technician, you're only as good as the information and communication you're getting. That's why you pray. That's why you pray. 